Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 259 of Yoga Land. Today, my guest is yoga teacher Melissa McLaughlin. Melissa lives and teaches yoga in Marin County, California. I have known Melissa for several years from back when she did one of Jason's in person trainings in San Francisco at Love Story Yoga, and we've been in touch ever since. During COVID-19, Melissa went back and completed an interdisciplinary social sciences master's degree in globalization. And she and I have just been in touch, and we decided to do this episode focusing on something that is near and dear to her heart, which is cultivating a mindful media practice. When we initially talked about doing this episode, I was really interested in hearing more about her thesis, which she focused on extreme conspiracy theory in the wellness space during the pandemic. And I find this topic really fascinating. But I felt we, we had several discussions and I felt that the podcast Conspirituality does a much better job of deeply exploring this particular topic over several episodes. And I didn't see a way that Melissa and I could do it justice without having that breadth, right? Without having five to six to 10 episodes about it. So if you're interested in this topic, the extreme conspiracy theory in the wellness space, go over to the conspirituality pod. We decided to focus more on kind of the outcome of social media during the pandemic, during the last, you know, five to six years, which is that it's becoming increasingly noisy, increasingly polarizing, and increasingly confusing to figure out what is news, what is opinion, what is personality and charisma. And then as an engaged conscious person in the world, how do you handle it? How do you cope with it? How do you maintain your own sense of inner equilibrium so that you can continue to act the way that you feel is aligned with your true purpose in the world? And you can continue to act and not become apathetic or completely shut down, right? Without completely shutting out social media and the media. So this is what we explore in this episode. And Melissa has a lot of great practical advice, as well as the perspective of what she's been studying for the past several years. She also has a fantastic blog that I will link to in the show notes. And she explores all of the different topics of interest related to taking in all of the information that we are exposed to in this day and age. So I encourage you to go to her blog. She has practices, she has reflections, and she has her own insights and thoughts about these issues. And before we get to the interview, just a quick reminder that if you have not yet signed up for our newsletter, I highly encourage you to do so. We send out all of our good stuff, all of the content that we create for you for free. Um, And you can go sign up for that newsletter at jasonyoga.com slash newsletter. Jason is still offering two modules of online training this year, as well as his hybrid training, which will take place both online and then in London at TriYoga. So if you're interested in advanced teacher training, go to our website and check out all of the info on that, jasonyoga.com 
slash 500 hour. He's also offering an online 200 hour training later this year. He's currently spending a lot of time in his man cave, aka the garage, aka our recording studio, creating all of the content for that. So you can join the waitlist for that program as well. Just go to our homepage, jasonyoga.com, scroll down, and you will find all of the places to sign up for the info for these programs. All right, and on to the interview with Melissa. Hi there, my friend. Hi, Andrea. Thanks for being back with me again. We've talked several times, and I'm just happy to have you back. There's so many things that you and I could talk about. I just think you you are, I love your big brain and your big heart. And um, But today, we're going to try to stick to the topic at hand. And I, when I say we, I mean me, which is cultivating a mindful media practice. Yes. Yes. So let's just first talk about how and why this topic is interesting to you. Well, first and foremost, I am a consumer of media. Uh, I have social media accounts. I read the news. I also, when I was a little kid, I remember taking like portions of the newspaper when my dad would finish them. Like often I'd read the, the cartoons and the sports section first and then like eventually get to the front page. So I've always really enjoyed just the process of, of reading and engaging with current events and I think at the time, I just wanted to feel like kind of grown up about it. And I've lived, like, you and I, and many people who are going to be listening to or viewing this podcast, have lived through a time where there's been huge technological evolution in media and content creation and content consumption. So first and foremost, I like come to this conversation as like a human being who consumes the news. And then during the pandemic, I returned to graduate school and that's its own kind of long pandemic <laughs> uh, divine story. But in the process of kind of meditating on what, did I, what I wanted to write my master's thesis on, landed on the topic of wellness influencers propagating conspiracy theories during the pandemic a theme and a topic that has become very popular and very like interesting to many people. And I was able to have an applied academic lens to it doing both like engaging with a lot of background research and media studies and conspiracy theory research and kind of the politics of, of media consumption. And then also kind of this new landscape of, of academic research, which is really trying to understand disinformation and misinformation, how it spreads across the internet. And so that was a really interesting thing to study, particularly at, that, at this time that we're mm -hmm. living in. And I'm sure that all of us also as human people, human beings living through a global pandemic and the politics of our day have felt impacted or noticed this in some way or another. And it's become a really kind of popular talking point of its own, uh, which is another interesting facet of it. But in the process of doing that research and kind of, you know, being back in that academic student space, you know, I'm never really far from my yoga practice. And so when I study anything, it's, you know, through a lens of self-reflection. So mm. I was really thinking often through one of my questions to kind of 
stay grounded in this study, particularly in a time that feels really very like chaotic and full of like existential peril to come back to the question like, okay, what is this inviting me to witness? What is this inviting me to witness about myself and my, my own media habits and my own consumption patterns, my own way of communicating about politics and current events, as well as kind of a larger conversation that I think we, I'm hoping is more popular these days of, of us unpacking our own biases and how that shows up and how we engage with information. And so now that I've finished graduate school and I'm kind of thinking about like what to do next, I am motivated to share how I think or what I've observed, how I think I notice for myself. So many of the, much of the advice I'll give in this podcast, I apply first and foremost to myself because I break all the rules <laughs> that I suggest all the time. Mm-hmm. But for all of us to notice and to be aware of how we engage with our phones is changing our minds and impacting our impacting our biases in a lot of really subtle ways that we're not always present and aware of and mindful of. And so this is where I think we can apply our, our yoga practices, our mindfulness techniques, as we would to our movement practices, or maybe our self-care routines, or how we eat, the way that we schedule our days, as well to the space of um, engaging with the news, engaging with social media, and particularly at a time that feels really heavy and confusing and scary for a lot of us. Um, But particularly, I think, for for younger generations who are often shouldering the burden of um, inheriting a world that um, does feel like it's teetering on a lot of different brinks. Yeah, yeah. Good, good way to put it. Um, it's interesting. It's fascinating how quickly the world has changed since we, since smartphones came to be, and also since Instagram came to be. Quite, quite frankly, um, I mean, I say that obviously with my own bias, which is that I use Instagram, so I'm influenced by it. But I was just thinking that I threw a friend a, a baby shower. And that was the first time I ever used Instagram. And the only reason I used Instagram was because there were filters. I didn't even, I don't think I even knew that it was a sharing platform yet. And that was 10 years ago. Her child is 10 now. So I think about the fact that, like you said, kids coming into the world now, what do they call them? Native users, right? Mm -hmm. This is all, this is the world that they know. They don't know another world. You and I were talking before we started about how you used to read the newspaper after your dad was done when you were a kid. I did that with my parents' Newsweek. I loved looking at like the cartoon page, even though probably most of the cartoons went over my head because they were all political. But then I started reading, you know, the columns and the back page. And then I would occasionally kind of get into the actual meaty news. And so the way that everyone is consuming news is so different. And the way that we are just simply interacting with each other is so different. So what you say about treating this like any other practices really, I I like that a lot. And I'm going to start thinking about that more. I feel like I hear a lot of, I'm just deleting Instagram from my phone. And then Mm -hmm. someone does that for a couple months and then Mm -hmm. they go back. Right. And, and so is, is there a way we can maybe not be all or nothing, but find a balance that 
that starts to work a little bit for us. So where do you begin with that when you think about a mindful daily practice with your, your phone and your media? Well, first and foremost, I mean, media, social media is a really powerful tool. And social media has had a lot of really positive impacts on our national conversation, on our global awareness, and on our politics. You know, I don't know that we get certain, um, you know, the recent convictions of the murders of Ahmaud Arbery. I don't know that happens without social Mm. media or the attention to the murder of George Floyd. Those are just very recent examples that are very just like top of mind for a lot of folks, right? In some ways, younger people, although their addiction may may be more obvious in terms of like hours used, they can be quite sophisticated users because they're sort of more aware of how media is used. And now like all on, you know, TikTok and what have you, um, we're seeing the ways that, you know, the war in Ukraine is coming through on TikTok. Oh, that's interesting. I haven't paid attention to TikTok at all with the war because I'm I'm barely on TikTok, so I didn't even realize that TikTok would allow it. Since it's, re- it's, a it's really owned. quite interesting because we're able to see things as consumers in real time, but we don't often check like, okay, where is this coming from? You know, who's sharing it? Why? Like all these kind of is like, this a clip from ten questions. years ago that someone is yeah, saying is this just a clip happened? From, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so those kinds of questions are, I think, are also too for native users and younger users. May, they might be learning, and I know this is happening a lot in public education spaces, where and private education spaces, and just in school spaces where kids are learning their critical thinking tools and skills that they would have applied to reading, you know, the New York Times or the San Francisco Chronicle also now to social media. And so they're getting a bigger toolkit, I think, earlier on of how to do a little bit more background research before sharing. Now, that's not always true, obviously, but in some cases, that's true. So I think first and foremost is I try to, and again, sometimes I break these rules, but I try to avoid beginning and ending my day with my phone. Um, That's a hard one. Which is a hard one. And so it can be just an intention where just similarly to meditation of like, okay, I'm going to sit for three minutes at the beginning of the day, three minutes at the end of the day, just that conscious, like flipping off switch. I also try to ritualize my engagement with the news. And so I, in the morning, I will listen to the news, whether that's like I'm driving to work or I'm on a run or I'm making breakfast or whatever it is. I'm, I'm more of a listener and a reader of news than a TV watcher. Hmm. So I very rarely watch 24 hour news media unless there's a big event that's going on, like the situation in Ukraine or what happened on January 6th, for example. Because I find for my nervous system that that feels really overwhelming. And I often notice in those spaces that there's a lot of perspective and opinion that gets layered on top of the news. And there's a way that media coverage of one story over two weeks at a time is really important. Like when there's a big event and a big story, but oftentimes in the slower time, there's this like kind of amping up of emotion around the topic for viewership and for, and for, to get people kind of fired up. And the same sort of um, emotional and entertainment value around current events happens a lot on social media. 
there's a lot of tendency for people to share an article or a meme or whatever just based on the headline without seeing where it comes from without reading the the like the full body of the article and so i often encourage people to wait to share information online um, and to first just pause if something is creating an emotional reaction to you whether that's in a more kind of quote unquote mainstream media source or on social media or some other um, alternative media source to just kind of sit with it for a moment and notice when and how those feelings pass. Maybe go for a walk or, you know, sit in meditation, do yoga practice, whatever you have time for, but to create just a little bit of space and separation from your emotional reaction to news content and ask yourself like, okay, you know, who's sharing this? What might their be what what's their point of view like what are they trying to get me to believe and then do i need more information about this topic before i share um is this person also i think it's important to it's another question that's really important to think about is like is this person sharing their lived experience with this are they amplifying the people who are most impacted by this issue this topic or this current event or are they just kind of like pouring gasoline on it, you know, like uh, just to kind of inflame tensions rather than sharing a perspective based on what they've personally experienced. Mm -hmm. So those are things that are really important. But when you are overwhelmed mm -hmm. to talk to people about your feelings, um, whether you are in the practice of doing talk therapy or you have a friend that you can, you know, trust to say, like, I'm really overwhelmed by this topic. I don't know how to feel about it. That just sharing and having conversations is really valuable for processing a lot of the things that we've been dealing with over the last few years mm -hmm. and that we see and are constantly inundated with on our phones or however we engage with news media. So part of what I hear you saying is that if you have like a visceral emotional reaction to something, there are downsides to taking that reaction and then kind of jumping into whether it's resharing something or commenting or whatever, there are downsides to that. Obviously, there are downsides in the sense that we're just all kind of arguing with each other online. But there are also downsides in terms of your own ability to process the information and actually figure out how you feel about it. So mm -hmm. instead of necessarily jumping in, in whatever form that takes, you take a break, and you see, then you see how you feel and, or you process it IRL, like you process it in real life. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is what I think is so interesting is that I do, I'm not an internet hater. Like I think it's, there's so many things that are great about it, including like connecting different groups of people who could never be connected before. I'm thinking specifically of like groups of disabled people, you know, who like couldn't find other people who had their challenges, things like that. And it's clear if we rely too much on bringing our energy and our emotion and our passion in the online space, um, like there has to be a balance. We're, we're missing out on the, the interpersonal reaction, uh, interactions. And I'm really speaking about the immediacy, the immediacy of the emotional reaction. Because sometimes when you sit with a story that makes you mad, you stay mad mm -hmm. because it's really frustrating and, it, and it's something that you 
um, want to get involved with in support and action and finding leaders who are working on that topic that you really care about. That emotional reaction shows that you're a human being that you, who lives in a world that you care about. And that's awesome, right? But it can also be a barrier to finding deeper resources, to learning more so that when you are in engaged conversation with other people about this thing that you really care about, you're just, you're, you don't, you're not, you don't armed with all the tools of knowledge um, and resources. And it can lead to burnout, to cynicism, to apathy and inaction, which doesn't really over time yields much progressive and positive action oriented energy towards the towards the change that you might want to see. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's that really the immediacy of emotion, not that I think emotion is a really powerful tool for getting mindful. Okay. Like, why is this bothering me so much? Because we can also see that people with media, like will often, sometimes they'll read a story or they don't, either they don't engage with the news as a way of avoiding those big feelings. Right. And it's, I don't know of a way to like live in the world right now and not have big feelings about it. Because it's like, I have big feelings about the things that I engage with in media all the time. Mm -hmm. But if I want to help other people process it or to, in what I view to be a positive action oriented way of supporting this issue, I have to sit with how I'm feeling and then processing those feelings can be a conduit for me to towards action. Because mm -hmm. at the bottom of those feelings, I often find faith, hope, you know, this like kind of positive action oriented power that I'm reminded that I possess and that all of us possess, particularly when we're able to connect with each other about things that we care about. But if I wallow in abstraction and isolation because I'm overwhelmed with the burden and the heavy weight of all of the challenges that we face, and I'm just kind of living in that space and using my thumbs all day long to share out, people stop listening to me. I get burned out. And I think overall, I think if we were to measure and balance those actions, there has to be some real world component as well. And, you know, media and social media is one tool to raise awareness, but there's a lot of other steps that are required if I'm trying to, you know, change local or statewide or national legislation, for example. And mm -hmm. that takes a long time. That takes commitment to us moving with single pointed focus in one direction, right? Mm -hmm. Rather than just being kind of overwhelmed and like exploding energy everywhere all day long online yeah. and getting I've never seen anyone change their minds like if somebody has is listening to this podcast and you have seen someone have their minds change in the comments section of a social media post like definitely send me a DM because yeah. I'd be curious to see how that worked out but I don't see that happening every day right I see that happening more over long periods of time where people are engaged in deeper relationship and storytelling with each other or in small groups right, right? yeah how do you feel about you know thinking about the comment sections and how they can become echo chambers and how all of us like I am including myself in this like we, if, it were, if we're being really emotionally honest, all of us are attracted to spaces that support our point of view, right? And so mm -hmm. it, they do become echo chambers 
of our biases and our deeply held beliefs. How much do you feel it's important to broaden your news sources or seeing other points of view, other sides versus just sticking with what you know and trust? I think that depends. It depends on like how much bandwidth you have for it, like what your boundaries are. If you can engage with conversation with people who are going to respect your humanity when you show up in that space of like mutual conversation versus like going at it with each other in a debate to prove that I'm right and you're wrong. With differences of opinion when they present themselves, I think that they're a really great opportunity for you to have your perspective broadened and to learn. I've lived in rural spaces most of my life. And so many of my neighbors and much of my family has very different like political opinions to me. And when I engage in conversation with them, I see where there's a lot of mutual frustration and mutual grievance. And so where is our common ground in these spaces? But I think that there's a difference between like, I'm going to go like watch Tucker Carlson to get like a different point of view. Like as a social scientist who studies media, I watch Tucker Carlson sometimes to just see what how people are are engaging with that kind of a personality and what they might be getting out of a personality like his. And then I also engage with like kind of what I would think of as the opposite, like a Rachel Maddow or Don Lemon or some of these CNN people that I that are kind of top of mind to me or like Anderson Cooper or whatever. And like, how are they different? How are they the same? How might each of these be like talking heads where people go to have their perspective reinforced. I think in many of those spaces, I notice that there isn't a precedence placed on clarity and context. And they often really appeal to people's raw emotion. And in some ways, like for, it's kind of a weaponized critical thinking, quote unquote, like the, like the Tucker Carlson's of the world who are just asking questions, but they're not asking questions in good faith. They're asking questions to, and this is actually a term uh, from the Shorenstein Center at, at Harvard University talks about one, a disinformation campaign on the internet. One of them is called muddying the waters mm-hmm. where the project is to just create just enough confusion and chaos to amplify and to give your point of view more power. And we've always, I think all of us are probably familiar with at some point in our life, maybe in in a school context, or we have a friend like this, who's like, just always plays devil's advocate, even if it's like, for something that is pretty bizarrely and obviously wrong like nazism <laughs> it's like we don't need both sides of this thing man mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. i think that i think it really depends and then also using like but if you are in real relationship face to face with someone and you feel like your, your your safety is intact and your mental health is intact and you have the energy to engage and to engage and ask them questions about how questions i find how questions to be more I don't know, productive than why questions, because the how question goes to the process. Okay. Okay. Like, you know, how did you get to this conclusion? Like walk me through some of the steps. 
that led you to this place. And in those stages, maybe I can say, okay, okay, well, that's, that's really interesting. I see you, I see you here. I, I've noticed this here. I can connect with you here, but this is where we have a difference. And here's where I'm coming from, from my perspective and how I arrived at this place. So in, th- in that way, I'm able to kind of show my lived experience with something. I'm able to share my expertise with something without it being felt like a personal attack against that other person, mm-hmm. right? Because I think there's this tendency that it's really difficult for people to engage with current events and not mirror it back to like, oh, because this is true, that makes me a bad person, right? And it's just like, <laughs> I think this happens a lot in white America, to be honest, of like, if this is true about our history, then I'm that like, uh, everyone's calling me a terrible person, rather than so, so people like, get really de- space. So you're saying people yeah, get so really people defensive, get really defensive. Yeah. And so what are the ways that I can diffuse that by asking people the hows and the what's of how they arrived at, you know, the place that they're in right now, cognitively, emotionally, and even spiritually, and walk me, walking me through that process. I found a lot more productivity in that space. And I, this is a really a lifetime trial and error process where, yeah. you know, I got into a lot of debates with my family members and my teens and my twenties and, and, and throughout, even throughout this pandemic, I think I've become more sophisticated in communicating, particularly given the study that I was in and then trying to apply some of these tools based on like, okay, this is what I'm noticing about our habits and social media. And, you know, how can I put that in practice in conversation? And it's not going to work hundred percent of the time because all people are different. And there's often going to be a range of people who are, you know, just sort of like live in a more hostile, defensive, emotionally guarded place. And then people who are just more open or you have a relationship that's built on some other thing, right? Trust or, you know, with your neighbors, for example, where you can have those conversations and it doesn't feel so aggressive because your relationship is built on a foundation where they know that you care about them and you know that they care about you. And so there's mutual trust and admiration in those spaces has required me in the past to kind of take a little step back from my own ego and need to be right. And to live more in the space of where I'm not really that concerned if this person thinks that I'm right, Mm. because I'm, that's not why I'm having this conversation with them. I'm curious about their processing uh, of the world and trying yeah. to understand how they see the world and what what their struggles might be that led them to this point, mm-hmm. right? If it's mm-hmm. financial or, or or health or whatever it might be, and then finding ways to support them in that in that in those spaces as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you said so many things that made me go to so many different places, but I will say that yes, I mean, one thing for us to recognize is that news has changed so much. You know, I can remember my dad as a kid, I would, my dad would come home from work. He just had like nine to five job and he would turn on the nightly news at six o'clock. And sometimes he would make us like, he would leave it on while we had dinner, much to my mother's chagrin, but whatever, from six to six 30, he watched the news. And that was that. And that was the end of the day. And Walter Cronkite or Tom Brokaw or Peter Jennings or whoever it was stood there, you know, sat there and read the news. Now, I know they had their biases, but still it wasn't full opinion-based 
news shows, which is what Don Lemon and what Tucker Carlson, like, let's just be honest, both of them, that's what they are. The eye rolling out of today's, you know, hosts, just that alone to me speaks volumes about like how they're reporting the news. So I think, yeah, for people to be aware that there's a difference between trying to get as fact-based as you can in the moment and let's say report on a, a war that's happening versus like you said, and ask just asking questions and rolling your eyes. Like those are two very different forms of of media. Yeah. There's and I think that's a, it's really important to bring up another layer of this is that the reason that those shows continue to get more primetime sp- slots is because they're the most popular. And so it's also it also is a it's something that requires us to take a step back and notice our base habits and in- instincts. We like drama. Yes. We gravitate towards sensation without context. It takes a lot of time to take a step back to either be consci- a conscious listener of someone's lived experience that's different than yours without feeling it like a personal attack or to take the time to be really well educated on the topic. We see people who are influencers who are all of a sudden becoming like amateur epidemiologists during a global pandemic. And now today they're all of a sudden, like they may have just learned where Russia and Ukraine were like two weeks ago and are now experts on the topic and sharing about it often on their pages. Uh, the most popular podcast in the country is also the most popular like news show, quote unquote, in the country, which is Joe Rogan, who got into a lot of trouble recently because he often shares and brings on people who are just asking questions, quote unquote, about the pandemic without having the bulk of the scientific community there as a counterpoint, right? Because he's like, because he's the outsider, the alternative media, even though he has the largest contract and the most listeners, right? So it, it does require us to kind of reconsider some things like what is mainstream media? What are we most attracted to? when we're engaging with media, you know, who do we follow? Why do we follow them? What are we getting out of that, out of, you know, being in that space? And I think what's really interesting about Instagram in particular, and is also sort of true, I think, of TikTok, though I haven't investigated that space quite as much. Instagram was more of my platform for research. But many of us log on to social media to be entertained. Right. And the Pew Research Center conducted has conducted lots of different like small and big, small scale and larger scale research on, you know, people's kind of changing and shifting opinions of what the news is. And in the last few years, people have started to understand that Facebook and Twitter are kind of how they get the news. But as recently as the pandemic, most people who engaged with Instagram did not say that they received news on Instagram which makes me feel like and I have the theory that because it's this kind of quote unquote like mindless entertainment space but there's a lot of messaging about current events and politics in the world that gets pushed pulled into 
the nice graphics of Instagram and kind of the influencer culture where we develop relationships of trust with people that we follow online all the time. Like we know what time they get up in the morning. We know what they eat for breakfast. We know what they think about the world. We know what they, how they exercise in the morning. We watch, we know what they wear every day. Like, and we learn the way that human beings learn are in relationships of social trust. And those are also the spaces where we can be most subtly or overtly misled or misguided. Mm -hmm. And it really does require us to, to kind of take a step back and say, okay, if I'm, if I'm aware that if, the, if there is a data point that's been re replicated over and over again, that misinformation spreads five to seven times faster on the internet than actual objective fact, what does that say about me as a social media user? If I know that the most viral content on social media is kind of extreme, emotional, not context layered, not nuanced, entertainment content, what does that say about me as a social media user? And all of these larger companies over time, like they're creating algorithms that are boosting back to us information that's going to keep us on those platforms for as long as possible. And so it becomes harder and harder and harder over time as these algorithms better and better and better understand us cognitively and emotionally for us to be mindful and, and interrupt those patterns. Mm -hmm. And so it really takes an effort. Mm -hmm. And I understand that the, the impulse to just be like, I don't want to be a part of this. And I've I've wrestled with that myself, right? And maybe in the future, I'll just give it up. I don't know, <laughs> who knows? But I do think as well, and I've seen a lot of people use social media really well to share their stories and make really meaningful and beautiful content. And so I don't, again, I don't think it's this like good or bad thing, nor is it necessarily even a new problem. I think mm -hmm. that these, it's just like a, it's just our human tendency over time, but in a new space. And in, it's in a, in a space where everything is amplified. So things get spread faster, farther than ever before. Yeah. And the and a lot of that those like kind of fact checking mechanisms themselves, like people are suspicious of A and B, they rarely reach the person who's been manipulated by that content of misinformation or even a disinformation campaign. It's almost never <laughs> that that messaging goes back to where they're engaging with something that is factual or research based. And the other part of it is that storytelling is really powerful and is a tool by which, and probably the most powerful tool by which people have their minds and their perspectives changed or their opinions sort of shifted out of something that's super solid towards something that's more open and expansive and can take in lots of different points of view without putting up a barrier or a shield and con to contract against, right? So storytelling is incredibly powerful. And in many ways, I think it's the most powerful tool to human advancement and, mm -hmm. and, and progress. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's kind of this double-edged sword. And again, like 
you know, I'm not alone. There are a lot of people in many, many different spaces of, of ac the academic world, but also online as well that are trying to help people just process and navigate these new spaces. Yeah, I mean, there are people making a lot of money off of us fighting with each other online. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that's, that's important to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I just keep going back to this idea of opinion-based media versus straight up news as, as straight up as it can get and just how even the difference between reading the newspaper where it will be tagged opinion at the top mm -hmm. of a column mm -hmm. versus you know in the world today makes it so much easier than navigating you know just listening right so i think reading reading and listening both are a much slower processing part of our cognitive wiring. And in that way, it can help us to take our time with the news, notice when we need to take breaks or we're getting fatigued. Whereas, and so I try to do as much as I can. Unfortunately, I can't, where I live, I can't get a newspaper anymore. I wish I could. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm just too far out. So there's no newspaper delivery out here. But to engage at a slower pace as much as possible. The other thing about social media is that it's very short and repetitive. So I think it creates an illusion of being well-informed because you're engaging with a large volume of content, but you're not, you don't necessarily have in that reading or in that consumption a larger a history from which the story is coming to us from, you know, some of that backstory, some additional perspectives um, in interview that are often seen. So in many like longer form articles, you'll hear about people's lived experience through direct source quoting. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of citation of sources. Sometimes there will be additional resources for understanding when in social media, that is not always the case. It's sometimes the case, but it's rarely the case. And, and we're kind of scrolling in this fast paced way. And there's that, you know, the, the, um, the adage of doom scrolling, where I don't think we're a getting really well informed about the thing that we care about that's going on in the world. And we're kind of marinating in just heavy, heavy stuff and not realizing how long we are on that space. Like if I'm reading mm -hmm. an article, I'm like, I'm reading the article. And when I'm done reading the article, I'm done. I'm not, I might move on to another article, but if it's a longer form article and it's taken me like 45 minutes to read, I might have more of an impulse to put my phone down where if I'm engaging with content that's 30 seconds long, a minute long, two minutes long, over and over and over again, I think a lot of us have experienced this thing where we're like, oh my gosh, I've been on my phone for like two and a half hours, like looking through all this pandemic content or looking through war content or, you know, seeing picture after picture after picture of, of a war zone, which is an important phase of, of understanding media, but at the same time, it can really make us feel powerless. Hmm. And the feelings of cynicism, apathy, powerlessness, 
often get kind of reused by the same people who are perpetuating some of the most evil in the world. They are the tools of autocracy. They are the tools of tyranny. And so what are the practices that help us to stay engaged and informed, but also where our baseline is reminding us that we are powerful, we are resilient, and that the, underneath the net of the doom, that we have faith, faith in ourselves, faith in one another. Mm. And like, what is the bigger vision that we hold for this space, this world? Like, what, what, how do we want to commit our energy here in our time here? Mm-hmm. And it's also kind of inspiring, you know, to see when people do stand up, when people do like, uh, uh, you know, over many, and this happens a lot on social media too, where activists have really used the space to inspire people to get involved with their local communities. I often encourage people to stay engaged with at least one news source that is local. I know it's getting harder and harder to find a local newspaper, but if you can find one, they often do have uh, some subscription um, that you can get onto your phone or apps on your phone. So I try to have one here that's just like Marin and Sonoma County based. Those are the counties that I live in between, as well as the San Francisco Chronicle, as well as the New York Times. And because I have the resources to pay for those subscriptions, I really find it's important to support, not just in my eyes and my ears, but financially, these organizations that are doing a good job of trying to tell bigger stories with as much clarity and context over longer periods of time that are slower paced to help us navigate and make actionable and skillful choices in our lives and in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably a good a good stopping place for us. Yeah. You know, I I mean I think you shared a lot of really good thoughts and I think you know, like you said if you if you are at the point where you're doom scrolling instead of the turning away and being like I can't I can't do this anymore. I can't look at the news. I can't handle it you can go to a slower form of news. You can go yeah. to a, <laughs> you can go to an actual newspaper, or you can go to a longer form and allow yourself to get more context, allow yourself to maybe take something in that doesn't evoke such a, an emotional response, but just gives you more of the background of where we are right now and, mm-hmm. and take that route, or even take, even take a short break and decide to come, come back. On my website, I have a lot of just tips for folks to take or leave. Um, I do think it's kind of a choose your own adventure with media. And so experimenting and finding ways to engage with the news daily or weekly that makes sense to you. And then also taking scheduled breaks, whether that's one day a week or a week out of a month or whatever it might be, whatever fits into your life, into your schedule best to disengage from all media and to really, you know, as yoga practitioners, and this is, you know, a bulk of your listeners, right? Where this is a podcast about yoga. And so it's important for us. And I know it can be really challenging sometimes, but to stay disciplined and dedicated to the practices that make us feel balanced, well, reasonable, sane, somewhat able to stay grounded in a world that is 
inevitably mitigated by chance and human error and has a lot of chaos. Like that is a part of in the yoga teachings and the Vedas, like Maya is, this is the theater. It's, it's kind of supposed to be like this uh, there, you know, and, and our job, I think, or our task as practitioners is to find daily check-ins where we're self-reflecting and connecting to our inner reserves of strength and contentment and ease and well-being, and then sharing those tools with others as often as we can so that everyone has the access to, to wellness in some whatever way works best for them so they can feel similarly connected at some point in their day to a larger sense of peace and faith in themselves and all of us and each Mm -hmm. other and to stay connected to that as often as possible and that could be like you know connecting with your friends talking to people I saw a resource from NPR just the other day actually on social media on their social media page that I thought was so relevant for adults as well but it was like how to help kids when the news is scary and it was you know comments like helping kids to process through art and play and saying things like I don't know if they ask me questions that you don't know the answer to and find ways to um, look for leaders and um, engage in action and all these things that um, give us help us to stay connected to our purpose and to um, our mission because the news can be overwhelming and can de- it can destabilize us to where we feel cynical and, and hopeless yeah and um, I think that that's why creating some sort of like ritual around your day where you're really mindful and intentional about okay I'm gonna engage with this at this time of the day, you know, whether it's the morning or the afternoon, or for me, I engage with listening in the morning and reading in the afternoon, particularly if there's a story that I heard in the morning that I found really interesting, or there's a big thing going on in the world, like right now, that I want to get more updates on and stay more engaged on. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, I will I will put links to your website, because you have a blog, and you have a lot of really great resources there. So I will Definitely put links to that on the show notes. And uh, thank you so much. Thanks for being here, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Good luck out there, everybody. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Definitely go and check out Melissa's blog if this is a topic that interests you. I will put links to her blog and her socials and all of the good stuff at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 259. And if you enjoy the podcast, definitely share it out there on social media, share it with your friends and family. Having listeners is what keeps me going and researching and working so hard for all of you all to keep you inspired and to keep you just engaged in your practice and in your teaching. And as always, it also helps if you could leave a review or a rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. That also brings more attention and engagement with the podcast. Thanks so much, everyone. Until next week, enjoy your practice. Mm -hmm.